Good morning, a Redeemer a family and friends. My name is Israel Martinez, and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead of pastor. And I just sincerely want to thank you and, and tell you guys that I love you guys so much. Um, uh, you guys are special and dear to me, and by God's grace, I would, I would lay down my life for each and every one of you. Um, you are all special, and the Lord has made you in the image of God. He's made you, um, if you don't hear that, sometimes um, we get told in church a lot, you know, what to do. But just if you know God, you are a son of God. And if you don't know God, he created you. You have value. You have worth. And so I just want you to hear that. And, and again, thank you for all that you've done, all the man uh, and woman hours uh, and time and things that you've done serving our church. Just know that I love you. I see you making disciples. I see you serving each other and loving each other. Y'all, well, uh, we're doing it by God's grace. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're growing as a family, and I see us doing the mission of God together and loving God, loving people, and making disciples of all nations for God's glory. Sometimes we think missions and church planting and all this stuff is super exciting. And God said, he said, just wake up today, one day at a time. Do what you got to do one day at a time. Again, a disciplined person, a successful person or a disciplined person does often or does, con does consistently what normal people do every once in a while. So if you want to be successful in the Lord... If you want to grow in the Lord and make disciples, you got to be consistent. And that starts with what we're talking about, abiding in Jesus and knowing this ultimate mission. Jesus is our chief shepherd, and he loves you, and he has used our church in various uh, diverse ways. We've planted churches in Colombia. We've done things in Germany. We've done things with people in, in other parts of the world and other parts of the U.S. And so know that, feel that. Um, that's what we're doing. Uh, bear with us as, again, if you're a guest here, this is not how we want our sanctuary to look. We have a, a good, strong week coming this week. We're going to hopefully paint some things in here. Um, we're probably a few weeks away to, um, from being done. Um, but I think you can see from the outside, uh, this will serve as an event center too, where we'll be able to host um, people and do some different things, and it will serve our church as well. Um, so just pray for that. Pray for those things. We're doing good uh, budget-wise. I think hopefully come in right in under budget. The Lord has been gracious. Um, and so pray for that. The Lord has used you guys in a deep way. And, and, and this is, we again, are in a mission and vision series where we're talking about our five parts of that. And so if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, to be a gospel person, uh, it starts with loving God and then loving people, making disciples, and then doing that um, of all nations, Jesus says. And that you do that, and that's what we're going to talk about today, you actually glorify God. So our vision which is just our direction or our goal. You have a vision. Where are you going? Who are you going to be? You should have one of those in your life, and it should be what we're talking about today. Generally, it can be different words, but the idea should be the same. But our, as a church, we want to be gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multilingual. One day, hopefully, have services in Spanish, and then be a church that plants um, uh, churches. That, that's simple. And that is coming to fruition. The Lord is doing that. And so, again, our di direction or our vision, it may change. That's not who we are. But that, though, you know, we may never have a Spanish service. I think we will one day. Um, but that we have a goal. We're trying to go somewhere. And the Lord, we're trusting the Spirit's direction to move. But the mission, 
Who we are never changes. It should never change. You may use different words. I use Jesus' words. It's easier. Uh, a great commandment, great commission for the glory of God. Love God, love people, make disciples of all nations for God's glory. That's what you're supposed to do. If, if, even if you're not a Christian, God wants to save you and for you to do that. And for that to change everything about your life. So that's what God wants us to do. And I see you as a church glorifying God. As you're abiding in Jesus and as you're learning or understanding and living out the gospel daily. Again, it's not the most exciting thing. It's not just adventure and go here and go that and have a big ministry. That's, that's, those are the things of the world. I'm not saying those things are bad. But if you're chasing those things, you're off. Don't let Satan, yourself, or the world, those are your three enemies, discourage you in this fight. You are all dear sons and daughters of God, if you know him, of the most powerful, loving, tender God. You're dear children of God, and you get the privilege, one, of being known by God. And then knowing God to then glorify God. And so I pray that our text today in 1 John 13, 31 through 35 allows us to actually worship and learn that, that, that disciples who are learning and living for God's glory, you, you worship, meaning that we are able to abide in Jesus or to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations, which is living for God's glory. It's cyclical. If you love God, you'll end up glorifying God. And then he gives us these words of loving people. They say, oh, yeah, I love God, but, you don't, but we have to love people. Jesus says those are connected. Loving people... Without God is pointless, but loving God leads to really loving people, and that makes you make disciples, invest in people of all kinds of people, not just people like you, different kinds of people. It shakes you up. It, it makes you do things that you thought you'd never do. And then, guys, then you end up glorifying God with your lives. That's what he wants for us. So we're going to firstly ask the question today, what is God's glory? That's our first point if you are a note taker. Secondly... We're going to say, whose glory are we living for? So we're going to say, we're going to ask, what is glory? Period. What does that mean? Whose glory are we living for? And then the third point is we will see the connection of God's glory to God's love. To say it in a different way, we'll see the connection of God's glory to our ultimate mission to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. You're going to see that um, through the text. And then lastly, we're going to see how to understand or learn and live life for God's glory, which actually changes our lives or leads to changed lives in us and in other people. So first, first point, first thing we're looking at is what is glory, right? Um, the dictionary defines glory in, in, in this way. It says it's praise or honor or distinction extended by common consent. Renown. I used, to like, I used to hear that word as a kid. I was like, what does renown mean? I think it's talk like this. Glory. It's like you think of glory in like this old English and it's like glory, right? What is glory? Another way is worshipful praise, thanksgiving. We could say, we just sang it, give glory to God. Uh, it's something that secures praise or renown. So the glory of a brilliant career, you could say. You could say it's a distinguished quality or asset. That's, that something or someone has. So the glory of the city, right, or that, that, that you know, that Gothic cathedral is glorious. We could say that. 
Um, it, it's great beauty and splendor and magnificence. We can say the glory that was Greece or Rome in the past, right? Again, that's what our friends at Webster Marion tell us uh, glory means. But biblically, glory uh, of our, uh, is this glory of our triune God. While it may be similar, the idea of glory, the glory of our triune God, while it may be similar to the way we use it in English, the Bible in our text today in John 13, 31 through 35, so if you have a Bible or device, I'd encourage you to open your Bible, have, this is the word of God, we want to be people learning from the word of God, turn on your device, open up, flip there. The Bible in our text today, again in John, uh, John 13, 31 through 35, will clearly help us define glory and specifically what it means to live for God's glory. So I'm praying today that we get this clear picture of God's glory. And, and again, what we mean when we say our ultimate mission is to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of all nations. And so, biblically, God's glory means everything of who he really is. It's actually really hard to define because God is so awesome and big and he's infinite, but he's also imminent, the Bible says. So, deal with that. The glory of God, you can't understand all of it, okay? But God is gracious and, and he helps us here. And so we can actually glorify God. God, it's not hopeless. While we may not get the full scope of God's glory, Jesus is who help, is the one who helps us see the glory of God. We're going to see that in our text. So God's glory biblically means, means everything of, of who God really is, everything. And so another way of saying it is God's glory is God displaying to us who he really is. God's glory is God's revelation of himself, a revelation of God's honor or, or being the most honorable or, or the best of everything and anything that ever was and ever will be. So again, God's glory is God displaying to us who he really is. God's glory is God's revelation of himself, a revelation of God's honor or being the most honorable or the best of everything and anything that ever was. And so... The Bible brings us to this point. Whose glory are we living for? Whose glory are we living for? That's our second point today. And so I wonder to myself, like, man, whose glory, who, who am I giving glory to with my life every day? I ask myself, Israel, who do you give your time to, your heart to, your money to, and any other resources that I have? Who are you living your life for? Who is honestly displayed as the ruler or the king of your life? I ask myself, Israel, who are you revealing that you love the most? Like who does my life show that I'm, that I'm revealing that I love? Not who I think or I say that. By my actions, by my words, by my countenance. Who do do people see the love of God or the glory of God in me? And I really want to ask myself this question because it deeply impacts every area of your life. You see, our wonderful God brought about this grand narrative, beautiful story called the gospel. This gospel of creation, of the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration so we could truly know him and glorify him. It's the simple story of the creating God who created and made everything good and made all of us in his image, red and yellow, whatever color, black and white, brown, whatever I am. I don't know what color I am, brownish something. Whatever color we are, whatever legacy you have, 
if it's from Africa, if it's from Nordic Scandinavia, if it's from Asia, if it's from the Middle East, Latin America, God created and made us good in his image. And then he made us good, but he also, in his story, knew that we were going to fall. He wasn't caught by surprise when Adam and Eve fell. He wrote that in the story, just like a good author. Just like when we watch Superman, we're like, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a villain. We are actually the villain in the story. And then there's a supervillain, Satan, right? Satan doesn't have power over God. God created Satan and made him part of the story and made the world the part of the story. Those are to be our three enemies, yourself, Satan, and the world. And in that, we would fall. And we would need a holy God. And there's this big chasm, this hole. And then he would come, this perfect little baby. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And he was, he was born of a virgin. And he lived 30-something years of perfection. And he was God and man. And he could take on the sins of the world. He was the only one that could take on the anger or the wrath of God. Yes, God has anger or wrath, the Bible says. He's not just nice Santa Claus God. He's a God who's the judge, who will avenge, who has power, who is strong, but is also loving and gracious. That's glory. And this God came down. And human glory is like we want to be like Braveheart or Tarzan, right, and come in and just rip everything up and be like, glory, I'm glorious. And we would start a war. We would take people out. That's what all of us would do in our flesh. Or we'd be cowards and just bow out. God is the perfect, glorious one. And so he sent his perfect, glorious son to be human, to then be able to reject. Like power is glory and power is not just saying, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I talk like this, right? That's not glory. That's, that's, tr that's just being cocky or arrogant, right? Or if you really talk with a deep voice, fine, that's fine. But when you start to brag and try to show out, that's a different thing. That's not glory. Glory is actually being those things and saying, I don't need to prove myself. It's being those things and saying, and actually holding restraint. That's what God did. God could have came in and wrecked shop and crushed everything. He said, no. He said, I am patient. I started this good creation. I knew that y'all were going to fail. And now I sent my son to be the one to absorb the wrath of God on the cross so that you could have life. That's the whole, we're going to enter uh, first, uh, John next week. And that's the point of John, that you would actually have life. And not live empty, pointless, worthless lives, but lives with power of the Spirit and actually have life. That's the gospel. And then it doesn't end there, guys. Jesus is coming back. The one who created, who knew we were going to fall, who sent the Redeemer, who called us then to repent and believe, to turn away from our sin and to turn to, to the kingdom of God and turning away from Satan and repenting and believing. That's where we start that way and we continue in that. And then the Bible says that there's a, a new creation waiting for us. It says the old has passed and the new will come. When you come to know Christ, and that points to this new creation that will come one day. And guys, that's the point of it all. We will have actual bodies and we will live with Christ. We will reign with Christ because of what he did here. The life that we start, eternal life, if you know Christ, starts when you were saved. And it continues. No one can rip you from the hands of God. But what we forget as Christians is we're supposed to continue in redemption, in the story of the Redeemer Christ, the one who took that penalty. We keep living. We keep living in the glory of God in this process called sanctification, repenting and believing for God's glory. You see, it all starts with this gospel. 
And we are called to be disciples who understand with our brains or, or learn. Remember, a disciple is a learner. So we're disciples who are learning and living for God's glory. That's our purpose. And that we're able to actually abide in Jesus. That's another way of saying it. Abiding is the secret sauce. If your life is horrible or your life is great, Jesus says abide. Live in me. Abide means to live. To live in me. And he says, I live in you. I give you life. And another way of saying abide is, again, our mission statement. To love God. For real. That's the main thing Jesus said you should do. Then that leads to love of people and to making disciples and really doing this of all kinds of nations. And to do that for the glory of God. So, again, I think our text helps uh, make this clear in John 13, 31. This idea of understanding or learning and living for God's glory is abundantly clear in our text. Before we look at our text, um, it, this is right before Jesus had just washed the 12 disciples' feet. Maybe you've heard that story. Talk about glory. It makes you want to cry. The Son of God would wash our stinky feet. That's, that's, that's rough enough. Back in the, those times, you'd be like, my feet smell great. Well, back in Jesus' day, the feet, you smell, have anybody, y'all have smelled feet, right? Like a real feet. I used to be in the military, and this dude had these boots, and oh my God, he would come in our dorm, and the feet smell, it just is the worst smell in the world. If, if you've never smelled feet, it's horrible, okay? That kind of feet, stanky feet, okay? That smell, in the old days, they would wear sandals. I remember I used to have these sandals, and I, I remember I went to the movie theater one time, and I thought I was watching a movie, and I thought I was the coolest thing. I had them, they called them Jesus sandals back in the 90s, and I thought I was doing, you know, I thought I was cool. And then I was like, whose feet are that? And they were my feet, something with my feet and them nasty sandals, never again, never again. It's a horrible combo. Don't wear those. Um, but that's what happened in Jesus' day. They would wear these, these kind of rough sandals. They'd walk. They didn't have, like, you know. Uh, closed shoes like we did, so the feet would get funky, and then they would have to be clean, that they were the worst smelling things, okay? And that's when Jesus washes feet, he's, he's like, it's a, it's a really strong thing that he's doing. A master doesn't wash people's feet, and that's what he does. So that's the context of our story. He is teaching them to be the servant leader who knows he's about to die. He knows his death is coming soon. And so as he's teaching them, Jesus in that tells Judas, hey, you're going to betray me. All the other disciples were shocked, hoping it wasn't them. He calls out Judas. Judas knows it. Judas leaves. And we get our text, John 13, 31 through 35. So read it with me. John 13, 31 through 35. This is what Jesus says to these um, disciples. Your, your heading may say a new commandment. John says it is a new commandment, and it's not a new commandment. But it, there's this new idea to this commandment. He's taking this from the Old Testament, by the way, from the law. He's taking this from uh, Leviticus. Jesus says, says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man, that's a word for Jesus, glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and, and glorify him at once. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, will you, um, I'm sorry, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Well, how? If you have love for one another. So we're going to walk through all that and I'll explain more. But again, we're going to learn and worship from our text today that disciples who are understanding and living for God's glory are able to abide in Jesus. And that means that we love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations, which is living for God's glory. And so John 13, 31 shows us that glorifying God leads us to true love of God and love of people. It's cyclical. You love God, love people, make disciples of all nations, you're going to glorify God, and it's going to come back to loving God. And it connects, again, the great commandment and the great commission to prove, y'all, that if we truly love God and people, that we must, we must make disciples of all nations, again, and that leads to glorifying God. So let's look at John 13, 31 more closely. And this is our third point today, that the connection of God's, I'm sorry, the connection of God's glory leads to God's love. They're connected. The connection of God's glory leads back again to God's love. So we'll see this connection of God's glory again to our ultimate mission of loving God, loving people, making disciples of all nations for God's glory. Look at verse 31 with me. John um, says in 1331, when he, Jesus, had gone out, I'm sorry, yeah, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. So when you see the word son of man, that, that's a word for Jesus. And that comes from Daniel. I'll read some stuff in Daniel 7, 13 through 14 that helps us understand what the Old Testament understanding of the son of man was. So when he had gone out, Jesus, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. Isn't that weird? Like Judas just left and he's like, it's happening. It's about to start. I'm, glory is coming my way. The disciples are like, huh? This guy said glory 13 times. I don't understand what he's saying. That's, that's usually what, what happens with the disciples. And it says, and God, the Father, now that idea of God or Jesus is God as well, so is the Holy Spirit, is glorified in him. Okay? Glorified in Jesus. So we first have to understand who this Son of Man is. Listen to what the Old Testament says about this Son of Man in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. This, with this idea of the Son of Man we see is given dominion. So look, it sounds like Jesus. Look at Daniel 7, 13 through 14. It says, I saw, as Daniel, seeing a vision, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was pre presented before him. The Ancient of Days is idea of God. So the Son then, I think, goes to the Father and says, and to him was given... To him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This is the human side of Jesus, okay, in that sense. And also the God side. Jesus would come and become human. So he says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, it says, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man is Jesus, if you didn't get it. The Son of Man is Jesus. And this was prophesied years ago that he would be for the Jews and for the Gentiles. This is clearly a prophecy of Jesus. Now listen to the Son of Man in Mark 16, 
I'm sorry, Mark 14, 61 to 62. And we see that it says that Jesus is the son of man. Um, um, he says this to the high priest as he's about to be set up to be crucified. So it says, Mark 16, 61 to 62. But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Again, here is a clear declaration that Jesus is God and, and he is this Messiah. He's the God-man. He's the Son of God. It says in, in the Gospel of John, Son of Man, Son of God, same idea. You see, the Son of Man is a title. It showed that he was God, yes, but it also showed that he was fully human. And this anointed Messiah, the one who would come and redeem the world as Savior, as the only one who could be truly man and truly God. You see, because if Jesus was only God, then the sacrifice, in a sense, wouldn't be complete. Because Jesus had to feel and had to be tempted just like us. That is what's so powerful about the God-man. And this one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Because just like us, Jesus had no sin. He was the only human who had no sin who could then have power over sin. That's what makes him God. If we as humans could say no to sin, then we would be God. But can we? No. We will fail. We may be good for 10 days, and then you'll fail. You'll look at something. You'll think about something. You'll say something. You'll do something. You will fail because you are not the son of man. He is the son of man. I'm not the son of man. He is the son of man. And so here we simply see in verse 31 that God is to be glorified. We see the son of man, Jesus, is to be glorified. This means that he is God. The Jews were wrestling with this. They're like, I don't get it. How are you saying you're the son of man? If you're saying you're the son of someone, you're saying you're, you're, saying you're God. That's what he was saying. Jesus would then say, I am. He said that before already in John. He already said who he was. Same thing he says. We sang the song Yahweh, Yahweh in Exodus. Uh, that's what the word that Jesus says to Moses. He says in Hebrew, I am, Yahweh. We don't really know. Uh, the vowels weren't there. Or Jehovah. He's saying I am. And he says it in John. And they're like, oh, snap. It's just one word in, in Greek, emi. Emi means I am. And they're like, oh, he's saying, oh, he just, did he just call himself God? Oh, snap. That's what Jesus is saying. So therefore, we see that the triune God is being glorified. God's glory is being displayed. Remember, God's glory is God displaying to us who he really is. God's glory is God's revelation of himself, a revelation of God's honor or being the most honorable or the best of everything and anything that ever was. And guys, that's why you should be living, not for your own glory. For God's glory will change your life. Jesus says whoever finds life in other things will lose their life. But those who lose their life for my sake, Jesus says, you find life. It doesn't mean life's going to be perfect and you're going to be rich and everything's going to go your way. No, but in the, in the mess, life is actually hard as a Christian. In all the suffering and all the hard times, you find life. That's what real life is. It's not just a walk in the park. We would not watch a boring movie where the guy's just like, Superman, just like, do, 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 nothing happened today. I'm just Superman. And so why do we, why do we, why do you get mad at God when he puts a little, a little suffering in our lives, right? And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. 
But that's life. We all have pain. We all will have suffering. We'll all have trials. But real life is in the middle of that junk. You have Christ and you have his glory and you can actually live. Doesn't mean you have a fake smile. You actually might be crying and broken. But you will have life if you abide in Jesus. You see, verse 32 explains the idea of God's glory more and how it is clearly deeply connected to the gospel story of Jesus in the Bible. It said in verse 32, it says, If God is glorified, if God is glorified in him, okay, if, that, if God is glorified in the Son of Man, God will also glorify the Son of Man, him, in himself. Jeez, that's difficult grammar there, right? Um, uh, but he's saying, if God is glorified in him, Jesus, God will glorify him, Jesus, in himself. And, and we think that means this idea of in, back to the Father and glorify him, Jesus, at once. It's this combo. Jesus is the Son of Man. And the Father is glorified and the Son is glorified. We see the word glory used or glorified five times. We see God, the Father, and the Spirit are glorified in Jesus, the Son of Man, and that Jesus is God, obviously, since he, Jesus, is glorified in God himself. And so also at the end it says that God will glorify him, Jesus, at once. This is alluding to Jesus and the gospel story that in his death, burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would also would be glorified. And then that specifically, Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, would now be known and honored in glory as God. The whole world changed when the Son of Man was glorified, and he will come back again. But we're in this middle part of the story, and we get to see this Messiah, the Son of Man, who is now revealed or displayed to us as humanity. And this glory that we see given in Jesus... Um, and, and, and again, this, this glory that we see is, is, is given in Jesus. And this is what we mean when we say we live for God's glory. Like we can actually do that. We live, again, to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations. And in that, we are displaying to others who Jesus is. So we're living for his glory or for God's glory. So we, we should be displaying who Jesus is by sharing this gospel story. We have to know this full gospel story, not a fake one, not an incomplete one, but one of creation, re, the fall, redemption, and restoration of the world and man. And you see, we must understand what God's glory means. And yes, in a sense, again, it's such a big idea and it can be hard to understand, but God has clearly revealed himself to us in his written word, word and in his living word, Jesus. We're going to start John, we're going to talk about the living word, okay? And then that helps us understand the written word that God left us. God has revealed himself to us. In his written word and living word, Jesus, so that we can get a glimpse of his glory and that we can understand enough of his glory through Jesus that we can actually claim and say, man, I can live the glory of God. And so now we see in verse 33 that Jesus comforts his followers by calling them his little children. If you are a believer who has repented of your sin, meaning you've turned from your sin and turned to Christ and, and turned to belief to be part of the kingdom of God, you are his child. You're his son or daughter. And Jesus wants to redeem you and save you and give you life. He wants you to see his glory for the first time, to love him for the first time if you're not a believer. 
And if you are a believer, he wants you to keep growing in the gospel, growing in love for him. Remember, the gospel is like a pool of water. It's shallow enough for a child or a baby to not drown in it, but then it's deep enough to drown an elephant. So a lot of times you're like, I want, I want, I want to grow in God. And, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't give those people meat. They're not ready. They don't know the gospel. They don't know the milk. Why, you're going you're gonna to have a steak. You give a steak to a baby, that's going to mess them up. They need milk. And so a lot of us in the church, that's the job of the church is to give us milk. So then we eventually eat meat. And a lot of times we're trying to eat the steak and, and God's like, no. The leadership of the churches are like, no, we need to go back to the milk. Well, the gospel is the milk and the meat, but it's, it all expanded. So if you know the love of God, the, the love of people, making disciples, um, and doing it of all nations and God's glory, man, you can write dissertations, theological treaties on these pillars. But you ha- we have to be founded on these pillars or we're going to live lives that don't make sense. Jesus said it simply. Just start with loving him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. A lot of times we're looking for the spouse or the new job or the new thing or the new adventure, and God says, stop. Just seek me first. Love me, and I'll add those things unto you. I'll give you things you didn't even realize you wanted, or I'll give you power and and, and gifts that you didn't even know that you have. Don't seek the things. Seek God and his glory. In verse 33, he says, little children, and yet a little while I am with you. He says, you will seek me. We will actually seek God. He says, I can't be with you forever. He says this later in John 2 because it would be weird if, I, if we had human Jesus still with us. That would be weird. He'd be 2,000 years old. He says this in the gospel of John. He says, I'm actually leaving and it's going to be better. I'm going to leave a, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so... In verse 33, again, Jesus is saying he will die, but that his children will be saved in seeking him, meaning he has given us this salvation. And then the believer seeks God. The Bible is clear that God's the one who grants repentance. He allows you to seek him or have this veil removed. This ability to actually seek him comes from him, but we can actually seek him. Once God shows you your sin, you can actually seek him or love him. So now, again, verse 33 tells, Jesus tells his most intimate disciples, the apostles, what he had been saying the whole time. He says in verse 33, and just as I say to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you go, or you cannot come. He is saying that he must die and that he must be glorified so the triune God would be glorified. And so now Jesus gives what he says is a new command. So the grand narrative story of the Bible that the Bible has been telling from humanity, from the Old Testament to Jesus, then to the this new covenant we see. Again, that we are to love God and love people. But now Jesus is making the command to love God and people more clear. That's why he says it's new. Again, John says it's old. John says it's new. He's making us think about the old commandment from Leviticus, um, from Deuteronomy, to love God and love people in a new way, in a more full way. He says in verse 34, a new commandment. So this is all tied to the glory of God. A new commandment, right? Because he talked about all this glory. Now he says, it's back to this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. If you really love God, if you glorify God, you'll love one another. He says, just as I, God, Jesus, have loved you, you are also to love 
one another. Loving people is the hardest thing we will do in life, right? You got family, you got a spouse, getting a relationship, it's not easy, right? It becomes hard. People are hard. We're difficult. We're sinful. Not just, hey, nice to meet you. That's not loving people. That's being fake. Loving people sometimes is saying, hey, man, I love you. You got an issue. I have an issue. It's loving each other. It's, it's iron sharpening iron, right? That is not always, that's, that hurts sometimes. A song, love hurts, love cries, right? That's true. That's the truest thing you've ever heard. Love hurts. Love makes you cry. Love makes you dig deep, right? And so, again, here Jesus is connecting this biblical idea to love God and people and making it more precise. He says we must love one another. And Jesus was clear that we are to love as he loved, sacrificially in giving his life to make disciples. And making disciples or learners or students of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. You don't convert anybody. God does the converting. But you tell someone who doesn't know God and who knows God the same gospel. And it will sustain the believer and it will awaken the new believer if God allows it. It's the same gospel. There may be different application. Same gospel. And so point four, we see how to understand and live for God's glory, which actually changes our lives and changes the lives of others. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, by this, by what? By this love for one another. That's obviously coming from him, for the love of him first, this love. He says, by this love of one another, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples or my learners or my students. There's fake disciples and real disciples. He says, by this, How? If you have love for one another, you want to say you're a son of God or daughter of God, do you love God's people? And what is God's people? It's the church. What did COVID, COVID showed us our true colors? We don't love people because we don't love God's church. I'm not saying COVID wasn't a real thing. It was. But, but it seemed like our, we showed everybody scattered from the church. This church lost a lot of people. That's just the truth. Doesn't mean we have to be scared. Doesn't mean we respect, um, we respect, uh, uh, you know, medical codes and all these kinds of things. But I think COVID showed us one: our jobs were not as important as we thought they were. Two: we don't really love the people of God. And so that I think that it should wake us up as the church to be like, man, how do we respond if something worse comes? Will we just abandon the church of God? When things get hard, do we just quit? We're the, love one another. Love one another means love the church. doesn't mean necessarily our church, Redeemer Church, but the body of Christ. And so if you're not involved in a local church, I would encourage you, join a church. Join a body of believers. That's how you will grow. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 35 again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus says the phrase three times, this love for one another. He says all nations or all people will know that we are his disciples and that, that we, will actually see, we will actually see God's glory displayed. He's asking us to imitate him in making disciples and to imitate each other in this. Jesus is asking us to invest in each other's lives, to immerse and to teach each other about Jesus and to follow him for real, for real. He's saying to make disciples. This is how we glorify him and show him his glory. This is how we truly love one another. And Redeemer family, 
I'm so thankful that God has given us this love for each other, and I pray we continue to live out this love for one another, that all people will see, that, that they will see the fruits of the Spirit that is in you, that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You know what those mean? Those are descriptions for how we abide, how we live in Jesus. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's real power. That's power. You want to know what the power of God is? Go look at Galatians and 5 and look at the fruits of the Spirit. It's not how big your church is. It's not how good you talk. It's not how good you do this or that or how Christian you seem on the outside. Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? That's how we repent and believe in the gospel. That's how we repent and believe in Jesus. Uh, and that's how we repent to each other. And that's how we walk together as the children of God. That's how we forgive one another when we speak a sinful or hurtful word. When, when we gossip or, or, or when we misjudge someone. Guys, we can actually walk in unity and in gospel partnership. That's what the Bible tells us. And you should confidently know that the gospel actually changes us. It helps us see less of ourselves and more of Jesus in his glory. And so, guys, we, we can understand what it means to live for the glory of God, and it actually changes our lives. We could spend the rest of um, another hour talking about how this gospel changes us, but we're going to worship, and we're gonna, I'm going to pray that the Spirit brings out what those changes need to be in your life. Again, our text shows us that we are supposed to, that true disciples are ones who learn and live for God's glory. And that means that you are abiding in Jesus or able to actually love him, love people, and make disciples of all nations. And guys, if you do that, you're doing the great commandment and the great commission, you will actually glorify God. You will be able to say, I'm living for God's glory, not in your strength, but his. So we've looked at what is glory. We looked at and asked the question, whose glory are you living for? We saw that the connection, the connection to God's glory and to God's love and the connection to um, how, how that connects to our ultimate mission to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. And now we also saw that we uh, can actually understand and live for God's glory. You can claim that as a believer. And guys, your lives will be changed and you will love one another and change the lives of other people. We serve a great God. Do you see a glimpse of his glory? Just even starting with that glimpse. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will allow us to be utterly amazed by God. I think that's another way of thinking of glory. Like you're just utterly amazed by how awesome and powerful and wonderful God is. Let's love our God deeply and pray and beg him to understand his glory more and more and, and, and to see how awesome and great he is. I promise it will change your lives. You start seeing God bigger and yourself smaller, your life will change. An old Christian saying said this and asked, what is of man? It's an old English, okay? In other words, what is the purpose of man's life? What is your goal? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's it. That's what for God's glory means, that you would enjoy God. You can actually enjoy God and have life. 1 Corinthians says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, for from him, God, Jesus, and through him and to him are all things. To him, glory, 
we can live for God's glory. And so when temptation is near and calling your name and haunting you, let the Spirit of God, in a sense, haunt you. We sang that earlier today. Call you. Cling to the cross of Christ and to the knowledge of God's glory. When darkness is at your door and crawling up your skin, shout out to the King of kings as your glory, as your rescue. Acknowledge who he is by understanding his glory. And when you fail and fall, because you will and I will, see his face and walk in repentance and belief in this gospel story that we know. Do you turn from sin and turn to Jesus in belief? And know that his glory is the highest thing and that he is calling you to share in his glory and see who he is. Again, let's pray to the Spirit of God right now and be utterly amazed by God. Let's allow him to change us together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We need you. Lord, you are just glorious. And again, that, that phrase, even saying that and even just preaching on it, Lord, is just so uh, humbling, Lord. It's just so much that we can understand about your glory and how awesome and powerful and strong and, and, and long-suffering, Lord, and patient and kind and all this goodness that we, that we know that you are, Lord, and all the power and strength. Lord, we just ask your spirit now to teach us, to let us see the next degree of glory, as Paul says. Lord, as we're growing in love of you, let us worship you now. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.